Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome again. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor right here. We're so glad you're with us. Let's take a moment. Let's welcome our online community and those at physical locations. Come on, let's say hello. And then today is a special day because today we launch our seventh location. Can we say hello and welcome our Northwest family? What's up, guys? Amazing. You know, I look back, we turned seven in the fall, and today we launch our seventh location. God never ceases to amaze us. I want to say uh, how proud I am of Pastor Xavier and Bree and the team there. Northwest, welcome to the family. Uh, your best days are in front of you. We're so glad to have you a part of this. And just briefly, why do we do video teaching? Well, it connects us all as one family. We're one church in multiple locations. We're one family family in one accord going in the same direction. That's why we do it. And you know, I always say this, it's not how you get the word, it's whether you apply the word. And so today I hope you apply the word, however you're receiving it, hearing it, or watching it. All right. We're in a season, great Lent. And uh, the whole point of all of this is to fast and pray and prepare our hearts for Easter, for the resurrection of Jesus. And we're fasting this coming week. We're going crazy liquid fast. Uh, So only liquids. If you want to join us, that's water. Of course, drink that, please, and juices and all kinds of other things. Uh, but, but I dare you, jump in, give it a try, even if it's for one meal or two meals. Liquid fast with us. We, we'd love to have you be a part of that, all right? So today, uh, I am, uh, I, I, last week, I talked about how to worship part one, how to worship the king. This week, I'm going to finish that, how to worship the king part two. Two. I think you're really going to get something at the end of our services. We're going to have an opportunity to engage with God and worship. All right. So let's prepare our hearts for that. All right. Sound good? Are you happy to be in church today? Amen. Well, um, have you ever met somebody famous? Ever met somebody famous? Have you ever met a, a living president? Be kind of wild. Uh, some people, when they meet famous people, they're starstruck. And uh, I, I don't think I'm a starstruck person necessarily, uh, but I, I did have a friend uh, when I lived in the Chicago area. He played for the Chicago Bears, and he was a very important player at that time. And we were hanging out. we go out to eat, go to events. And he, he was so generous with people. He'd give autographs. Uh, he would stop. I remember one time he gave this kid his phone number. I couldn't even believe it. And he would talk to kids. I was a youth pastor at the time. He'd talk to kids in my youth group. He was such a good guy and always generous. But there was one time he, he just wouldn't play it. It was when we were eating. It's like he just, it, it was like his pet peeve. Please do not bother me while I'm eating. And we were at this restaurant one time, I'll never forget. And this guy kept coming up to the, to the table. And he's like, hey, bro. It, it was nice the first time. Hey, bro. I just washed my hands. Let's connect after. 
And the guy would not stop and came back. And so finally, I'm starting to get frustrated, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I want to like get in a fight or something on behalf of my friend. And what happened was, is the guy was so annoying. It was so frustrating that it ruined it for everybody else. You know, have you ever had that person in your class or uh, in your workplace or they just ruin it for everybody else? We have one or two of those people on our staff. <laughs> they might be your location, Pastor. Who knows? But, but when you think, of, let, let's translate that spiritually. When you think of a president or a head of state or even like the Queen of England, uh, you can't just walk up to them. There's protection, there's procedures, uh, there are preferences they might have, okay? And I want to translate that to God for a moment, okay? God is much more important and powerful than an athlete or head of state, okay? Uh, and, and what's important for you to know is our God is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and if, and if he's the king of kings, he's probably going to have some preferences. And there should be some reverence and honor in how we approach him. The difference between God, the difference between God and any other head of state or important popular person on TikTok is that we, any of us, we have the ability to approach him. But keep in mind, there are ways to approach God. God has some preferences. That's really where I want to go today in this how to worship part two. And I think about Easter coming up in a couple of weeks. And there, if you're at a physical location, there's cards on your seat and you should be inviting, inviting. It's going to be such a great Easter. Uh, but we're going to celebrate the risen king. But understand that worship is a way to celebrate our risen king anytime, any place. Anytime, any place. And so I want to go to a passage today that I, that I think actually, if you look at all the uniqueness of what's happening in this passage, it actually describes worship almost perfectly. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I'll start reading. I'm going to read the whole passage and we'll just kind of come back to it uh, in, in our remembrance. But verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there. All right, so let's just stop there for a second. Uh, you have Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, 100% God, 100% man, uh, but holy. And the, <laughs> the text starts with one of the Pharisees, who's a religious leader, uh, who really was at odds with Jesus, asked Jesus to come eat with him. And it's just so funny how everything with God is a setup. Because he's at, he, what's about to happen is going to trigger the Pharisee. And then a certain immoral woman, I love how the Bible points that out, a certain immoral woman from that same city heard he was eating there. Do you think Jesus accepted that invitation, knowing there might be a certain immoral person hanging around? Probably. So she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. 
She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Well, so are you, pal. All right, so who's this woman? Well, there's some different theories around who this woman is, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, some would say it's Mary Magdalene. Some would say it isn't. You see this a similar story. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's a different version, a little more detail, Matthew 26, uh, where a similar thing is happening. Uh, but essentially, there, there's, no, there's no necessarily a grounds for that, for her being Mary Magdalene in, in Luke. But the point is, is, is we know and we understand that this, this woman is, is immoral, which means it's, it's possible she could be some sort of a prostitute, a sex worker. Uh, th- th- there's something that would signify that she wasn't just a common folk. There was something a little bit abnormal to her sin. You know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of us, um, we have sin, but it's not abnormal sin. And so we think we're good. Anyway, alabaster jar, let's talk about that for a second. Why? What, what, what is the deal with this jar? Well, I mean, obviously it's beautiful, but the jar is full of ointment and it smelled great and probably overcame the stench of the dirty feet. Because I'm sure you recognize this, but thousands of years ago, uh, there weren't nice boots uh, that you wore to go hiking in. And so it's likely Jesus is wearing sandals and his humanity might have allowed him to have stinky feet or dirty feet. And so it would be in a sense uh, normal uh, for someone to clean someone's to serve by cleaning someone's feet or even anointing it uh if you will not anointing but putting oil on it so so she's doing something but she's doing something in a drastic way this perfume could have been worth more than what you make in a year or what somebody made in a year It could have been. It was that expensive. So this was a sacrifice. So right off the bat, we see a great sacrifice, a generous gift as an act of worship. I think it's important to also note here, and it's remarkable to me, that how she gained it may have been sin, but how she gave it was worship. You know, the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. But I also believe, I also believe that the ways that we acquire in wickedness, God can turn it around and use it for his worthiness. And I just love that. And, and, and so that's why this alabaster jar is important. Now, um, I, I want to make a case as to why Jesus, before, before I continue, why did Jesus receive her worship? All right, why? Well, I want you to think Cain and Abel for a second. Cain doesn't bring God his first and his best. He brings him what's left. Abel brings him his first fruits. It's it's an image of the tithe, but it's also worship. And so what happens is God rejects Cain's gift because it's not his best. This was her best. It was a heart posture. I heard a theologian say this, that God is not a lip reader. He's a heart reader. 
and so he's he, Jesus is receiving this worship because it's coming from her heart. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Isaiah. Okay, Isaiah, God's looking for somebody to work for him, to serve. And Isaiah's like, God, nobody has clean lips, including me. We all curse a lot. And then what happens is, is uh, his mouth gets touched with this coal and his lips become clean. His availability, he was honest. There was humility there where I'm not clean. And then God makes him clean. Uh, I think about King Uzziah, who was popular, uh, but he became prideful. And so he goes to burn incense in the temple when only the priests were allowed to do so. And, and so he gets angry with the priests when they try to shuffle him out. And then he gets struck with leprosy. There, there's a theme to this. How about uh, Ananias and, and Sapphira who lied to the apostles and to the Holy Spirit uh, because they did not offer their gift in honesty. They lied about it and then they get struck dead. So, so why did Jesus receive her worship? Again, it was a hard posture. You know, you can do acts of worship without the right heart. And it'd be an act of pride. It'd be, it'd be a, it'd be, it'd be a, it would be a formality. Now back to the story. She bends down. That, that's what the Bible says. She bends down behind him. And I see two things here. She bends down, which is proskuneo, which is the word we see in the Greek for worship, which means to bow down, to prostrate, and to kiss which is exactly what she's doing. And then furthermore, she's, she's, she's behind him as a servant, which that word would be latreo or latreu. There's different ways to pronounce these things. I'm probably pronouncing them wrong. But what we see is that in Exodus 3, 4, and 8, and it describes Israel's departure from slavery. This word means to worship the Lord in service. So she is completing worship by her laying and kissing and being prostrate, but also serving. Everything we do is worship. Everything. And I'm going to talk about worship in service in, 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 in the next month. But, but, but this is why Jesus is receiving her worship. She's meeting his preferences. The real question, though, is why did the woman respond this way? Well, it's possible Jesus healed her. Who knows? It, it, it's, it's possible he delivered her. Maybe she was possessed. We don't know, but what, what we do know is she definitely heard about him and heard his message, heard the possibility of his message, heard the message that I come to seek and save who's lost. I'm a friend to sinners, does a sick person need a doctor? That's what I'm here for. I'm the son of God. I forgive sins, horrible sins. I take away the sins of the world. I love one another, forgive one another. I make all things new. She's got this message in her mind, which leads her to her knees. And so I want to I wanna make this real practical for you today so that you never take the opportunity to worship for granted. Here's how we worship. Please write this down. Number one, you must at some point become undignified. Undignified. What is undignified? Well, it's, it's appearing foolish and unseemly. It's lacking in dignity. I'm not saying that every moment 
uh, of, of song must, must be of great uh, madness. But she is undignified in this moment. She's from the streets. She's a Gentile. She's potentially a sex worker. And for her to come into an environment with Pharisees who are judgmental, intellectual, wealthy Jews, and do what she did was radical and unthinkable, and it was, it was totally and completely undignified. And a question for you is, is when is the last time your worship was radical, unthinkable, and made others question your normalcy? How do we get there? Well, I remember when my family first started attending church. We, we, are, we, we are folks who got saved because somebody invited us, which is why it's so important for you to take those Easter invites and invite. But, but uh, we were at church and we were just, you know, we, I've told you this before, we grew up like no, nominally Catholic. And, and so we, you know, we just, we didn't understand this stuff. And we were at this Christian church that had singing and, and it, we were starting to witness people clapping and lifting their hands and laying and dancing in God's presence and laughing even. We're like, wow, people are laughing in church. You know, all these different things. But there was a woman who sat in front of us that her, her worship, her expression was over the top. Now, I think that we, we have to be conscious of those who don't know Christ and uh, there's a time and a place and we, we don't necessarily want to always be a distraction, if you will, but sometimes it just hits you where it's like, I've got to give God what he gave me. And, and, and so she was so over the top and, and, and I, I, I couldn't understand it, but my mom said something to me. She said, son, until you know her story, until you know where she's been, don't judge her response. In other words, don't be so dignified or sanctified that you've forgotten how to be sold out and in love. Don't judge somebody, don't judge their response just because it's outside your comfort zone. You don't know what they've seen or what God's seen them through or what God saved them from. And when we do that, we become like a Pharisee. Her response was radical because she didn't know how to act any other way. She wasn't churched. She wasn't synagogued. She was set free. And the only way to worship was to just respond. Here's the second thing. When we worship God, we must allow emotions. We must allow for emotions. We, we can't always stand there stiff and, and biting our cheeks so that tears don't run down our face. She was weeping due to her sin and her encounter with grace. We believe these were thankful and fearful tears. They were a fountain of tears because of what she was experiencing. I was... I've been many places where I always ask the Holy Spirit, if you can use me prophetically, I would, I would, I'm available to you. And I was at one of our outreaches, probably a serve Saturday. And I was talking to a woman and she's like, I just, I need God so badly. I don't even know what that looks like. And I prayed over her and I just began to speak life over her and prophesy over her. And she's weeping. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. Why am I crying? Why am I feeling this way? What's happening to me? 
And in God's presence, especially when we're in need and our heart is softened, when there is an openness to him, we tend to cry and that's okay. It's okay to be overwhelmed with conviction, with fear, with gratitude, and with repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I always tell my son, hey, there are certain things to cry about. Certain things to cry about, there are certain things not to cry about. You get a boo-boo, we're over that. We're not crying about little boo-boos anymore. But God touches your heart. You, 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 feel, you feel overcome. You feel sad. Instead of responding in anger, okay, cry for a moment. But, there, 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 but there's, there's a place where sometimes we get, we get so hard in our heart that we, we, nothing moves us anymore. Your emotional strings are tied to your heartstrings and where you put your time, where you put your talent and where you put your treasure, there your heart will be also. In fact, really, Jesus really clarifies that where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart is. A lot of the reason, and I'll just be honest with you, a lot of the reasons that God hasn't captured so many of your hearts is because you refuse to give him your wallet. When some of us cry when we see a good father on TV, because we didn't have a good father, it's connected to our heartstrings, right? A need we have, we see a military person coming home, uh, some sort of human DNA connection. Uh, I cry when I sense God moving on someone's life, right? What, what, what our heart is into, what our heart is for, sometimes tears will follow. Your emotional strings are tied to your heartstrings, Jesus answered in Matthew, in Mark 12, 29, he says, the mo- the, the, Jesus answered, the most important thing is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Heart leads to the soul, leads to your mind, leads to your strength. It's all connected. Wherever, whatever your heart is connected to, your head will follow. Meaning, you can't love anything that much and not be emotional or passionate about it. And here's a woman who's emotional and passionate in the presence of Jesus because of grace. Here's the third one. We need to use our body when we're worshiping God. She pours this expensive perfume on him. She washes his feet with her hair and her tears. In other words, worship isn't just a reflective experience, but a physical act. 1 Timothy 2.8, in every place of worship, I want men everywhere to pray with holy hands lifted up. Be free from anger and controversy. Psalm 134, 4, 134, 1, oh, I praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, you who serve at night in the house of the Lord, lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Psalm 47, 1, oh, clap your hands, all people, shout to God with the voice of joy. Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. It's a physical thing. And I, I want to give you six words, six original words, Hebrew words. We have Hallel, which means hallelujah and Yahweh together. 
It means unrestrained or undignified worship. There's a place for this. Think David dancing without concern of others as the ark passes him, as the presence of God passes him. Tahila, which are songs and shouts and holy noises. Think Exodus 15 and God delivering Moses and the Israelites from Egypt. There's Zamar, which is the use of stringed instruments with collective harmonies to set an atmosphere, which is why we do that, which is why lights may come dim and lighting may come. We're setting an atmosphere. Think the throne room in Revelation 4 and 14, where David's shaking up the room because he's anointed as he plucks the harp. There's Yada, which is the raising of hands, Exodus 17, which keeps Moses' hands lifted in battle. And I would just suggest to you, I wonder what would happen in your worship and what battles might be won as you lift your hands and don't bring them down. Toda, which is the same raising of hands, but this form is with thanksgiving and adoration. There's Barak. Two forms here, but we know Barak is praise, but it's blessing. It's blessing God. Psalm 89, to bless the Lord, I bless you. I praise you. That's the most common form, but there is another form of an individual on their knees, blessing in advance. Think Daniel and Elijah in the midst of a godless culture. Daniel praying and blessing God on his knees, thanking him that he will deliver him. Elijah with his, on his knees and his head to the ground, blessing and believing God that rain is going to come. When we do these things, especially with the right heart posture, a surrendered heart. God promises to inhabit the praises of his people, Psalm 22. Meaning he makes himself known among us and reveals his glory and receives our worship. The last one that I see in this passage is someone who is engaging with their intellect. Worship is emotional, it's unrestrained, it's physical, but it's also mental. It's, it's your intellect. And I think some people will make excuses. Well, it's not my personality to use my body. I'm just kind of a, uh, a person who is still and, um, and, and stoic. And, and there's a place for both. Some of us just need to shut up and listen for the Lord in his presence and be still and think on him. And others of us have been too quiet for too long and need to throw up our hands and clap our hands and thank God for what he's given us and bless his holy name. But there's a place to engage your intellect. And uh, Warren Wearsby says this, that worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body to what God is, says, and does. See, the woman in the story made a intellectual conscious decision before she ever got in the room that I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to praise, I'm going to serve, I'm going to worship. I'm going to lay my whole life and my heart down. I'm going to surrender. I'm making this decision no matter who's in the room. 
no matter what consequences I may face, no matter what it costs me. That, that's what she did. She made an intellectual decision before she got there. And I want to speak to believers for a moment. Believers, I don't know if we always come into the house of the Lord having thought about what we're bringing. And I, I get it. I'm a parent. So mornings are chaos. I mean, we try not for them to be, but just sometimes, where's your pants, Maverick? Where's your socks? I just put them on. Why does the dog, why does the dog have your shirt in his food bowl? Like, how do these things happen? You know, we've got a, a, a baby that needs to eat in this. So I, I get, I get some of the, well, how do I do this? But, but we have to create, we have to attempt to create space. In other words, Coming to church on Sunday is a Saturday night decision. And, and, and on our way to church, let's turn the worship music up so that, um, so that we don't fight with our spouse. Oh, you want to fight today? It's going louder. We're combating the devil by our intellect. We're thinking and we're saying, God, today I'm bringing my offering of praise. Today I'm bringing my offering of resource. Today I'm bringing my offering of talent. Today I'm bringing myself to you because without you, I am nothing. It's an intellectual decision. It's predetermination. As you worship and as you sit in seats on the weekend, it's a predetermination that all week long I'm going to serve and walk with him. My life is a life of worship. Oh, there's so much more I could say. I'm going to leave it there for now. But I just want to close um, with this thought. A couple weeks ago, I led our church in communion. And I talked out of 1 Corinthians 11. And basically... In the early church, what was so amazing about what they did is before worship, before song, before preaching, they actually would have what they called a, a holy feast. It was a potluck on steroids. And so they would eat before they did anything. And as they ate and fellowship together, what was happening is those who were well off, those who had money, they were actually not sharing uh, with those who did it. They were eating all the food and they were getting drunk in service before they worshiped. And Paul's like, don't you have homes for that? What is wrong with you? You're about to share in the Lord's supper in communion because at the end of the feast, they would receive communion together. And, and, and Paul's like heartbroken here because he's like, you got people in need and you're not even sharing in the feast, yet we're going to share in communion. And, and I think, here, here's what I'm saying. Here's what worship does. Uh, worship, it centers us because showing up to church and, and having church, it's not, if you're a Christian, it's not about you. you you're there. We, we create these experiences and these atmospheres for him, to worship him. And to bless others. And so if you're a, a seeker, someone who doesn't know Christ, well, this whole experience is for God. And then it's also for you to experience God. So what we're going to do is, and I want to invite our prayer leaders to the front right now. I want to invite everybody to stand to their feet uh, at every location, especially if you're at a physical location. If you're at home, participate with us. But prayer leaders come and 
Come now. And the whole point of this moment is to minister to God. And, and my hope is if you're someone who doesn't know Christ yet, if you're an unbeliever, that as we worship and minister to God and each other in prayer, that it would minister to you and that you would sense and feel the very presence of God that this woman felt whose heart was so transformed that she had to get on her face and worship. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, prayer leaders at the front, I want to pray over you and then I want us to sing to our king in a way he prefers, with emotion, with our body, with all of our heart. Jesus, thank you for being with us. We sense and feel you, but we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to inhabit our praises and our worship and heal bodies, transform hearts, change lives, heal minds, do what only you can do. We lift up our hands and our heart to sing to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.